Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to Exodus chapter 20. And this evening we're coming to the Eighth Commandment, so we're, uh, we're coming uh, near the end of our series on the Ten Commandments. Um, but uh, we'll begin our reading at the beginning of the chapter to set the context as well. Exodus chapter 20, and you'll find this on page 61 in the Church Bibles. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. For many of us uh, living in our modern Western world, uh, we are used to thinking in the terms of rights. Uh, We talk about uh, the rights that we have as individuals, and we can appreciate uh, the the emphasis uh, that comes behind that. But as we turn back to the law of God this evening, what we notice is, is that the focus is not so much on one's rights, as it is on one's responsibilities. That the law of God is emphasizing our duties, as it were, uh, before God, with whom we are to live and before whom we are to serve. And this evening we want to be thinking about, and we're continuing to look at what is sometimes described as the second table of the law. The Ten Commandments can be broken down uh, between commandments of how we serve our God and commandments chiefly that are dealing with how we serve our neighbor. And as we think about our responsibility to our neighbor, there are many things that we need to take into consideration. We've already looked at how we are to honor uh, the institution of the family. We are to honor our father and our mother. We have a responsibility to protect the life of our neighbor. We are not to murder. We are to respect the institution of marriage and to uh, uh, honor uh, the sexuality that God has given to us. 
And this evening, we are coming to this eighth commandment that you shall not steal. And as we look at it, uh, the focus on living by one's rights as opposed to living by one's responsibility uh, is one where we can see a difference of focus, especially as we come to this commandment. What is this commandment aimed at? This commandment is not simply talking about one's right to private property. This commandment is talking about one's responsibility to protect one's neighbor's property. And we want to think about this commandment in terms of how, uh, because God shares with the needy, that we are to be concerned about protecting and promoting the interests of our neighbors. We have been looking at uh, the Ten Commandments, but as we've been doing it, we've been trying to think about certain principles that shape the way that we look at God's law. We've noted uh, several of those principles uh, in our study. One of those principles was the inward-outward dynamic, that the law of God is not about only your outward actions, your outward behavior. Jesus emphasized that in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, uh, and then emphasizing simply the outward action. And Jesus would bring it back to saying, but I say unto you, whether it's uh, the commandment about murdering or the commandment about committing adultery, Jesus would begin by saying it all deals with the heart, uh, that the inward motive is to be aligned with God as well not just restraining the outward behavior in society. So as we think about the law, it deals not just with outward actions, but an alignment of the will. Does it correlate, does it, does it match God's will uh, of what is right and what is praiseworthy? Uh, so the law penetrates right down uh, to the core of our being, our will, our desires. Another dynamic that we've highlighted in terms of principles for thinking about the law is not just the inward outward, but the positive negative. That each commandment is not only thinking in one terms or the other. Although many of these commandments are framed in the negative, there is a corresponding positive aspect to those commandments. To honor the Sabbath day means that it's possible for someone to break the Sabbath. For a person to uh, uh, not murder, then they must be doing something more than not murdering. They are called to protect life. And this is something that we see uh, developed in Scripture. And we highlighted before that Paul, when he was writing to the church in Ephesus, he writes to them in Ephesians chapter 4, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those or with anyone in need. Paul was saying that that commandment, do not steal, is not just about not stealing. It's about being productive. It's about using your time wisely. It's about giving yourself to labor, to work, in order that you might be able to serve the interests of your neighbor. Because you're not living unto yourself. You're ultimately serving those with whom God has placed you around. You are to be a blessing to others. And so this commandment, do not steal, is not just something negative. There's a positive side to it as well. 
Paul says, labor and share with what you have with those who were in need. But this also brings up another principle that uh, many down through the centuries have highlighted when we think about the law. What is forbidden is forbidden absolutely. And what is uh, the positive aspect is something that is fulfilled uh, as there is occasion. So we are not to steal. And that is something that is to characterize all situations. And yet as we have opportunity, we are to share uh, with those who are in need. Uh, There is an opportunity that develops itself. And so these principles can help us uh, even as we look at this eighth commandment this evening. But we want to think about this commandment very briefly this evening in three thoughts. We want to think about what does this commandment reveal about ourselves? What does it reveal about God? And what does it reveal about God's grace? Why is this commandment given to us? Do not steal uh, is getting right down to the actions of how we treat one another that we're not to take what doesn't belong to us. A young toddler, a young child needs to be taught, do not take what doesn't belong to you. But that's not just a challenge that a young person has. Even grown adults need to be taught that lesson because there is something in us that wants to take what doesn't belong to us. James highlights that in his letter, in his epistle. He says, what is it that causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You do not have, and so you murder. So the desire is there, and there is these conflicts over what we want for ourselves. And we're willing to attack another person, to diminish another person, in order to get what we want. That's selfishness. And if we think about what this commandment is highlighting, it shows us something of the corruption of our own nature. Uh, That we see something of the problem of uh, the human nature in that we're willing to deprive our neighbor in order to enrich ourselves. It's not just that we're we're breaking an abstract custom that socially we don't think it's right to take uh, or to steal but that we're willing to do something to attack and to diminish another in order to make ourselves better. I'm willing to impoverish someone in order that I can be enriched. That's selfishness. Uh, And that is something that we see manifesting itself in all kinds of ways. It is the mindset of I to the exclusion of you. Now, when we think of this commandment, do not steal, we may think of the person who physically by force breaks into your garage or breaks into your car or breaks into your apartment or comes and takes something that you own by force and takes it for themselves. And certainly that is a breaking of this commandment. But we can step back and we can see this commandment as being violated in more than just by physical force or by physically taking the possessions of another person. In our own time, perhaps we see this commandment being broken most often with things like identity theft, identity fraud. Uh, A person is not using physical force, and yet they are still enriching themselves by a way of stealing from another. They're willing to impoverish someone in order to enhance themselves. But it all takes place at a distance. 
and people don't think of their actions as being against anyone in particular. It's just a number. It's just a name. But they're actually doing something uh, to hurt other people. But it's not just uh, in these uh, very uh, criminal activities uh, that uh, people steal in terms of physically breaking into homes or uh, of identity theft. We can go even broader still. Uh, People steal from businesses. In uh, 2021, just a couple of years ago, the government of Canada documented that there were over 95,000 cases of shoplifting in Canada. 95,000 cases of shoplifting. People will steal from businesses and not feel any uh, guilt about it because to them, these big corporations are rich and so it is fine for them to take what doesn't belong to them uh, because they want to be uh, enriched themselves and they want to punish uh, businesses. But is it right to take what doesn't belong to us is ultimately to be our, our uh, frame of reference, not just trying to punish or to be our own uh, judges. So people can steal from businesses. People can also steal uh, from their employers. J.I. Packer, the late Anglican, comments that he thinks the most common form of theft today is uh, stealing from our employers. When people will abuse the system, in order to get around fulfilling their work obligations, when they want to be paid for work that they don't actually deliver on, when they're willing to cut corners and not fulfill their work term, whether it's their hours or whether it's their their work itself, they are stealing uh, from their uh, employer as a result. People can steal from their government. when we fail to give the government what is their due, when people refuse to claim on their income taxes their income that they have made, or when they falsify information to lower their taxable income, we are denying our responsibility to our government. Governments are ordained by God, and there is a responsibility to give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, namely our taxes. And if we're not doing that, we are denying our responsibility to care indirectly for our neighbor because the government is established for the common good of ordering society. And however we think of the the proportion of taxes, the rule of law would say that we are to give our taxes uh, um, in uh, in submission uh, to the government. We can also steal even from our family when a parent, a father, or even a mother uses their entrusted resources for selfish ends rather than giving their child what is their due. If a parent is using their wealth for their hobbies and their own interests, but they're not giving their food and clothing and education that their child is deserving of, they're stealing what belongs to their child. They are depriving them in order to enrich themselves. And so people can be denying their neighbor's uh, needs in terms of work, in terms of government, in terms of family. But most of all, we steal from God uh, the honor that is due to him. That's a charge that we see often in scripture. Uh, It was there in the days of Malachi. Malachi, the prophet, 
charged the people of Israel with robbing God, that they weren't giving God their tithes and their contributions. They were neglecting or not giving God uh, sacrifices that were even worth anything. And that was a problem that happened over and over again. Even when the people came back from exile in the days of Haggai, the same complaint emerged that the people were more interested in building their houses than in rebuilding the temple. There was a neglecting of the honor that was due to God in order to ultimately serve themselves. And so in all of these ways, the Lord was charging them uh, with not honoring the Lord or of giving the honor that is due to his name. Now, in the Old Testament, the tithe system was unique because it was emerging between the church and the state. Uh, The funds that were collected were used for both ends. Uh, So we have to recognize there is something of a uniqueness to the Old Testament economy. But the principle of recognizing that a portion of what we have is not for ourselves, but is to be given for the common good of others, to serve the needs and the interests of the wider society, that principle remains. And so when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he is taking up a collection for the the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, those who are in need, and he tells them that on the first day of the week, they are to set aside something, set aside something and to store it up so that when I come, you have something to give, so that we might be able to care for those around us. There was a principle that Paul was saying. What you have is ultimately not your own. That what you have is something that is to be used wisely. And your focus must extend beyond yourself and include the needs of others. And so Paul was saying, there must be some principle in your life that is saying, what I have, I, I want to be giving. I want to be thoughtful of how to use this for the care of my neighbor. And that shapes the way that a person is to live. You can see surveys and research that has been done that in Canada, the number of Canadians, but also the percentage of what Canadians give away is decreasing over the last number of years. And there's obviously a lot of factors to that. One being the tightening of the economy. Things are getting harder and harder. But for those who are believers, we have to be intentional about what we're doing with our money. Because we're saying there is is a, a calling that has been placed on what we do. How we are servants or stewards of what God has given to us, that we would use it not just for our own enjoyment, but also being thoughtful of the needs of our neighbors, of being able to set aside uh, something to care for those who are in need. So this commandment, what is it teaching us about ourselves? Uh, It's teaching us something of our own propensity to being focused on ourselves, that the way we can be bent on promoting self to the exclusion of thinking about the needs of others is something that should hit us as something twisted. Why is it that I don't see a need to help others? That we can be people that are driven by coveting or being dissatisfied even uh, with uh, God's provision over us. 
So the law forbids stealing, taking what doesn't belong to us uh, and taking it as ourselves. But as we're thinking about this, we said that the law, that we live in a world where we think more often in terms of rights. I have a right to this. And as people living in Canada, we know that Canada was a signer to the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. And the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights tells us that we, each of us has the right to private property. That we each have the right to buy and to sell as we please. And that's a right that we can enjoy. But what the scriptures are teaching us is, is that we want to step back one more step and say that we're not just thinking about rights that have been written down into our laws that can come and go according to the government's dictates. We're thinking in terms of what is God's mindset, the perspective that we should have, and that we are people first and foremost who are stewards. We are trustees. In our church, we talk about trustees a lot. Trustees are those who are signers. They are those who are responsible for the church building, for the church deed, for the buying and the selling of assets. They are signers in the civil sphere. They have a responsibility with what they do in that position to be good stewards of the building and how they take care of it. The Bible says that first and foremost, we are trustees of God's resources. In Psalm 89, it says that the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof belongs unto him, that all things belong to God. And so instead of thinking to ourselves, this is my house, this is my money, this is my toy that I ultimately own to my own desire, the believer should begin by saying, this is God's provision to me to use wisely for the enjoyment of God and for the caring of my neighbor. That I am a steward of what has been given to me. And instead of clinging to it, this is mine, I am to be using it in humble service. Being thankful to God for what I have, but also trusting in him with what I have been given. So to, to break that mold is a serious thing because it is, it is ultimately violating God's order. When people steal, they may not think about whether or not they're impoverishing their neighbor, but they are despising God's providence. They are despising the fact that God has ordered things and distributed his gifts a certain way. They are reflecting a certain dissatisfaction in life that unless I have this, I cannot be happy, and I want it, and so I will take it by any means. It's showing something of our own sinful hearts when we steal. The law of God didn't just say don't steal. The law of God also explained what would happen when a person did steal. If we just turn a couple chapters over to Exodus 22, we find out what happened when a person did steal. If someone took an animal that belonged to their neighbor, they didn't just have to give the animal back. You don't just give the bull back when you were caught stealing. Because when you stole that bull, when you stole that ox, that sheep, that goat, when you did that, you were actually attacking the livelihood of your neighbor. 
This is how they live in an agrarian society. What you're doing is an attack on their ability to live. And so the law of God didn't just say you give back the bull. The law of God said that you will pay twofold for what you took. In other words, there was a punishment embedded into the law. And that punishment not only discouraged stealing, but it helped people understand the importance of protecting the interests of your neighbor and of mending society so that people would respect what belongs to another and that society as a whole would be enriched and benefited as a result. Rather than everyone living with that's mine mindset, they're being able to respect the distinctions of what is yours and what is mine, that society might operate fully. If a person wasn't able to pay uh, the twofold amount, uh, then they would ultimately become a debtor servant. In other words, they would become a servant until they were able to pay off the amount of what they had stolen. And in that way, uh, they also uh, ultimately preserved order in society. So this commandment reveals something of the covetousness, the dissatisfaction, the selfishness uh, that characterizes our hearts with respect to our neighbor's belongings. Do we protect and promote our, our neighbor's interests in the way that we act? But this commandment uh, also teaches us something about God. And I was uh, already uh, leading into this, but it reminds us of God's order. God who owns all things. The fullness of the uh, earth is the Lord's. God has ordered and distributed his gifts. And it reminds us that what has ultimately been given belongs to the Lord himself. And we are to live respecting God's providence. Uh, So the scriptures want us to step back and to remember that we are in the position of trustees. You think of Jesus's parable of talents. You remember that parable where Jesus speaks about one going off on a long journey and entrusting to his servants his property. Those talents that were entrusted to those servants, they were to put to use. Uh, they uh, They were entrusted to their care, but they ultimately weren't theirs to own. They were to be used to the glory and the will of their master. And so here Jesus was teaching us that what has been given to us is to be used wisely and faithfully in his service. So this commandment reminds us that of God's ordering of all things, but it also reminds us of God's care. This commandment is not just about my right to private property, but it is about my responsibility to protect my neighbor, that my neighbor has interests that need to be protected as well. The French reformer John Calvin explains the purpose of this commandment in this way. He says, since injustice is an abomination to God, we are to render to each person what belongs to him. He goes on and he says, it includes not attempting to deprive our neighbor of his goods in order to increase our own. The way that I transact with another person is not to diminish them, to weaken them, to leave them less, but ultimately in such a way as to serve them that we are, our interests are mutually being honored. This is how we are to love our neighbor. 
It's not just, am I getting ahead in life? But is my neighbor being protected and their interests being protected as well? This means that we not only refrain from taking what does not belong to us, but that we protect the interests of others and do what is just for our neighbor. So this commandment reveals God's order, but also the way in which God cares for people. That he distributes his gifts in such a way that we are to use them to care for one another. So that the whole body, the whole, uh, is built up and enriched. Not so that people become divided and all uh, torn down. But this commandment also teaches us something about uh, God's grace. As mentioned, we steal in many different ways, depriving of what belongs to another. But our greatest form of theft is when we do not give God the honor that is due to his name. Uh, And that is a debt that we can never repay. We cannot, as debtor servants, repay for the actions we have done in dishonoring God. That we are people that stand in need of God's grace. But Christ came into this world to fulfill that role. That Jesus came into this world to pay the debt of sin in order to set us free. Jesus came to restore our dignity. That although he had never dishonored his father and he had done nothing but defended the interests of his neighbor Jesus was willing to suffer the penalty of sin in order to mend the relationship between God and sinner interestingly when we read in the gospels uh, we see how much Jesus identifies with our need Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross, but when he was crucified, we find him hanging between two robbers, as he is described in Matthew's gospel. The only one who faithfully honored his father and protected the interests of his neighbor was being treated as though he was a robber himself in order to recover what we had lost. While he was being hung on the cross, one of the uh, criminals uh, railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Then save yourself. But the other one rebuked him, saying, Do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus promises him. Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus gives to this man who is in a poor and a needy state. He has sinned against his neighbor. He has sinned against his God. He has denigrated himself in his selfish lifestyle. And yet Jesus came into this world to give life, to restore sinners to God. And here he promises the gift of eternal life to this man who trusts in him. Jesus then uh, provides us with the gift of restitution. He cares for us in our needy place. Jesus doesn't simply serve himself, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. God's grace then begins to transform the life of Christ's people. They begin to have a new outlook on things. They will see God as the one who owns all things uh, and is worthy of our trust. And so we can submit to his care and his wisdom. 
That's a great antidote to bitterness, isn't it? When we see the success of others, we don't have to be resenting when others have more or different things. We're able to submit it to God's providence and to say God is good and he has his purposes for how he is doing things. I'm able to submit to what he has given to me and to be a steward with that. It changes our our view on matters. It also gives us uh, a concern not only about protecting my interests, but about sharing with our neighbors in need. In this light, the believer can enjoy the good gifts that God has given to them, but they also, as they have opportunity, will want to do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. Can you say that this evening? When you think about what God has given to you, whether it's great amounts of wealth or little amounts of wealth, it doesn't matter. That at the end of the day, you see yourself as one who has been given by God's providence and that what you handle, you handle as an act of faith. That at the end of the day, money isn't the most important thing. That what is most important is knowing God. And if you've come to know the gift of God's salvation in Christ, it transforms the way that you're going to treat your neighbor. You're not constantly trying to one-up your neighbor. You're not trying to have more comforts in life than your neighbor. You're not trying to beat down your neighbor so that you feel better about your lot in life. Instead, you're able to see that what God has given to you is to be an act of service now, of thanksgiving. That I do what I do as an act of faith to care for my neighbor, but to also honor my God, who generously gave the gift of salvation to me in my needy state. What I have, I have as a steward. I don't cling to it. I'm not enslaved by it. I'm a servant of Christ. Can you say that? And then thirdly, it gives us a consideration uh, of, of God's grace. So that it helps us to be accountable uh, to God. It helps us to be content with what we have. But it helps us also to want to protect and to provide for the needs of those in need. There's a principle then that begins to shape the believer's life. What I have, I use not ultimately and primarily or only for myself. But I use it for the good of my neighbor for the honor of God, and wisely, as my Lord would have me serve. Let's pray. Who see how the life of faith uh, affects and shapes every area uh, of life. And we pray that most of all, we would be thankful for the one who came to serve needy sinners, uh, who laid down his life as a ransom for many. Go before us now in Jesus' name.